0: Welcome to Hooked on Bond, where three longtime fans discuss the James Bond films.
1: Welcome to episode fourteen. We are talking about A View to a Kill from 1985, starring Roger Moore as James Bond. I'm Brian. This is Gary.
0: And this is Edmund.
1: So, A View to a Kill was the 14th James Bond film, and it dealt with a a microchip that was discovered in Siberia, which was using some British technology, which apparently meant that there was some uh, espionage going on, that the uh, Soviets had uh, discovered this technology that was going to... Uh, allow electronics to be invulnerable to uh, electromagnetic pulses from nuclear explosions and so on. And the focus turns to Zoran Industries and Max Zoran, because when he took over the company building this technology, it was then that it started leaking and showing up uh, with the Soviets. And we go down this road of investigating Zoran and his company. And we slowly find out that there is uh, something uh, unpleasant in his past. And there are ties uh, to a Nazi scientist. And it turns out uh, that Zoran is something of... A psychopath. And of course, uh, he clearly becomes the villain of the piece and is moving towards this plan to wipe out microchip production in Silicon Valley so his company can become dominant
0: yeah I think that uh, that 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 covers the basics. and uh, there's um you know sort of the you know this this does allow them to sort of bring in a, bu- a bunch of the sort of classic bond elements. um the, the actual pre pre-cre- pre-credit sequence where he's recovering the microchip in Siberia is uh, you know a is a skiing chase. Um, you know so we have to see the latest variation of. Uh, Bond uh, managing to avoid a whole horde of people on skis um, with uh, with some some new variations this time. Um,
1: I think this one worked very well, actually.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and they you know going from the I mean, uh, going to the single ski to, to getting the guy off the snowmobile to uh, to then that uh, snow the snowboarding on the single runner um, after the after the snowmobile blows up. Um, although I do have to say, I don't know why they felt the need to put the beach Boys in in there. Yeah,
2: and of course, it wasn't even it wasn't even the Beach Boys. It was some lame cover of the Beach Boys song because yes. they couldn't get the rights or they felt it was cheaper. Now that's clearly a massive misstep. And as much as I do enjoy the opening credits, i that is a terrible moment. Because it also interrupts a really, really good John Barry score. And like yeah. just when it's getting to a peak moment, they you know, segue into that terrible cover and... It kind of, it takes you out of the scene. Agreed. That really was, not a good choice.
1: Yeah, that was a a big misstep for sure. But the rest of what they did in that uh, pre-title sequence uh, there was uh, was very good, I thought.
2: Well, yes, it was. It was indeed. Right up to the tacky, floating love palace that he ends up getting away on. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes, The uh, that that was disguised as an iceberg, yes.
0: Supposedly, even though it was so much grayer. But
1: well, yes. <laughs> but so we could see and, and
0: also, I, I I really want that autopilot technology that they can just turn on and it's going to go through all of those ice flows and moving icebergs and things and take them to Alaska in five
2: days. <laughs> yeah, and It's one thing for it's one thing for Bond to escape in the villain's uh, getaway iceberg, which would be equipped with Bollinger and all these other kinds of things. But I'm not sure the yeah. magic government's little sub-iceberg would, would have all those things, like the bed. And the, it's a much more comfy bed than you would otherwise expect to see in one of those things. Yeah. Uh, true, <laughs> yes. Outfitting it with a bed, uh, a, f- a cool fridge for the Bollinger, and a very, very attractive uh, captain. I don't know. What, I don't know what she's <laughs> there for at all. I, I guess the idea being that he didn't land in that sub. He was getting there some other way it's never been very clear about that
0: well, point. I mean I mean I, I mean this was the mid 80s so you know maybe this was part of uh the the Tory government privatizing parts of the uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the military services so yep.
1: maybe Bond was that, able to
0: get some defense contractor to uh, to customize it for him
1: yeah yeah that bit on the little boat was uh sort of a self-indulgent sequence <laughs> it <laughs> it indeed it was okay whatever uh the title sequence itself Self, I kind of liked actually. Oh,
2: it's it was the really, really fluorescent uh, skewer. It's
1: pretty fun. Unabashedly 1980s. Yeah, yeah
2: and also it was, was perhaps the last. Well, I think it was the last time Bender did a really good credit sequence, and also the first time in a while that I think he'd done a good one. So sort of a, it was a nice high moment for him and his style, his art.
1: Yeah, it was um, quite quite in your face, and uh, you know very very tight. It was uh, nicely done.
2: But let's not forget it was also coupled with a pretty good song I mean it, it that was a great song when it was attached to the movie and it's still a good song now yes it, it's still fun to listen to with its incomprehensible lyrics and completely mm. lyrics frankly but <laughs> it's it's pretty good it's John Barry getting a little more rock closer to rock than usual.
1: Yeah, and having um, Duran Duran do the song I think worked for that one.
2: It absolutely did.
1: It was a, a little bit similar to what they did uh, back in um, Live and Let Die with Paul McCartney and Wings, sort of the yeah. guy group uh, uh, type song there. Yeah,
2: I think George Martin obviously, well, Very had no part of that, so I think this was, I think it was a little fun for him to try this one with the band.
1: Yes, yeah. I, I like the soundtrack for this film quite a Bit, actually it's very good it was it, uh, it the first time we've had several times where they've tried incorporating more pop or rock music sounds into a bond soundtrack and this is the first time i think that john barry did that and i think it's the first time that it really worked yep uh, I was yeah. you know how it worked with George Martin doing a then live and let die was not that great it and, was it was much tighter and a much better fit in this one
2: yeah well they had been like most of the people that I'm going to were not all those replacement guys like uh, was it Hamlish and then Conti they just uh, they didn't have it and and this was certainly an improvement over the previous Bond scores that Barry had done in that he wasn't relying as much on his older themes he was letting the new uh, the new music sort of like the basic track to view kill he was using it a lot more in the film yeah and i think it, i think it improves the action the really good action sequences like the ski chase that you were talking about and and the final chase in this movie the final battle in this movie are under are using that same sort of score and it works really well i think also the eiffel tower sequence so most of the best action sequences in the film use that music quite well
1: yes agreed yeah. so shall we talk about some of the set piece uh, set piece action in this sure I guess we mentioned the um the uh, the opening ski sequence uh, which um, uh, was very good. It sort of looked a little different than what we had seen before. Filmed in a combination of Switzerland and Iceland. Uh, they did
2: Iceland for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The
1: Iceland. Uh, the Iceland sequences were for the icebergs and the mm-hmm. the um, sort of ice ponds and things like that. And the high slopes were uh, done in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eiffel Tower sequence was. Uh, uh, quite elaborate, uh, and that was uh, that was quite neat with a, a a chase, you know, a chase and gunfight, going running up the Eiffel Tower, uh, ending up with uh, a parachute jump off it by the yeah. the yeah. villain who's being pursued by Bond. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then you know, followed of course by that car chase, which you know what, you know does go quite over the top. Um, yeah. and, and no, does not you know... at
1: any
2: point feature Roger Moore.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, at, a, at age 57, it's harder to find stunt doubles.
2: Yeah, I'm still not sure how, how old he was for this movie, 55 to 7 or something but it's definitely 20. too yeah. old it was definitely too old for him at this point
1: yes yeah. I thought yeah. his his performance actually was not bad but yeah it was really pushing it on the age yeah and and he saw that too and he had been saying you know yeah this is getting to the point where it's uh, you know it's too much
2: right I mean well, he clearly outlasted his utility but they had no one else anyways and they kept coming back to him but this was the one where there was yeah. just no way to cover it up right yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Looked no, he really looked almost the contemporary Patrick McNee (laughs) and not like a much younger more virile spy he really didn't seem all that much younger
1: that's right yeah so Characters. We sort of have an interesting cast of characters in this. Uh, as we've noted, uh, uh, Roger Moore as Bond getting kind of old for the part. Um, we had um, some interesting villains in this, I think, with yep. uh, Christopher Walken as Max Zorin, uh, and they they sort of made him made him up to look a very pale, sort of almost albino looking. It seemed. Yeah, the blonde sort of faded out hair and i i think they lightened up his skin
2: tone a bit too maybe i think that's right he did have a very sort of odd looking appearance
1: that sort of helped helped it because he was this sort of odd you know putting you you know putting you in an uncomfortable position kind of character yeah no he was good yeah. i mean it's
2: it's great to get someone who's so good at playing psychos <laughs> who's so famous mm-hmm. for it, uh, playing a, a psycho villain in a Bond movie.
1: Yes, absolutely. And he really was, you know, intended to be a psychopath and played as a psychopath.
2: Yeah, I until I saw it again, I'd completely forgotten the scene where he talks about how his genius allows him to improvise situations. It's like, not, it's not even true, but <laughs> he's just completely crazy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible plan that he has when they're burning down the city hall. It's just really lame. Oh, yeah. And yet he, he, he yeah. wants Bond to appreciate his total genius in coming up with it.
0: Yeah, now, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, yeah, yeah. Rather than just knocking them over the head and leaving them in the fire, it's like, no, we're going to put you in an elevator and, and have <laughs> <cap>
2: you between the <laughs> and burn you up. You know? <laughs> and it's all because I'm such a master of planning and it was yeah. so ridiculous. Anything about his plan is dumb in this movie. <laughs> like, if he thinks he's going to... No one will ever suspect it was me. <laughs> Maybe the Zorn blimp hovering over the carnage will... will not lead to some people being
1: suspicious. (laughs) What I liked about that character was he played those things with utter conviction.
2: Yes, he did.
1: Absolutely. And that, that lent something to it that made it very viewable, I thought. Yeah. I think yeah. the other key uh villain we have to mention is Mayday, played by Grace Jones, who is the 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 henchman or henchperson. Henchwoman? <laughs> henchwoman? Okay. She was so the I henchwoman in this one.
2: It was the henchwoman, the sidekick, the villain's girlfriend, possibly the villain's sister, who knows? <laughs> Anything's possible. I mean they were both genetically engineered. So there was very creepy relationship going on there. And In fact, it seemed a little odd. I mean, his total lack of concern for her was a little bit out of character. I mean, yes, he's a psychopath, but he did seem to have an attachment to her that was based on the fact that they were raised together,
1: I assume. But he has no mm-hmm. concern for anyone, basically.
2: Yeah, that's true. But I, I did get the impression that they were closer than everyone else and that he would not so casually dispatch her. I know he had to, but mm-hmm. if anything, it's sort of surprising to me at the end of the movie, Mayday, because he gives her up and let, leaves her to die, She even faster turns and turns on him and is happy to ruin his plot when. To be honest, a good fanatical supporter wouldn't have really cared that much.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I mean, that is that is one thing that I still kind of regret in the way in the way they did this, because the way she was being set up, you know, she really was like, you know, the the latest odd job or jaws. You know, just seemed to be you know this perfectly. You know, and especially with the, the you know the questions about her her actual origin. Yeah, uh, and
2: the butcher, he was and, gonna die. He was fine with that.
0: Yeah, but but you know, but but from but from her part to have her be so so attached that even after he'd have Abandoned her, you know. She's still going to try and stop Bond, you know. So we, you know, we we didn't get the uh, the Bond henchman fight that uh, you might have expected, you know. I mean, much as you know, as we've said, I mean, given given Moore's age, you know, who knows if they could have made that credible? But uh, but I think just in terms of sort of the. The overall Bond ethos, It's a, you know, kind of, a, you know, it, it should have been going there rather than. So know, the, the,
2: the line at the end was, "I thought that creep loved me," and it was like it was basically your brother because you were raised together. <laughs> it's more than just some guy you were sleeping with. This was yes. her, like her reaction should have been, "Yeah, I get that he tried to kill me, but I still want him to succeed." Yeah, her turnaround <laughs> was just too ridiculous. But it allows you to die a more fun death, I have to admit. And oh, sure. it is one of the best scenes in the movie when, when she does come out of the vine on the bomb, and Zoran looks down and goes, Mayday. Like, I can't believe she's doing this to me now. Yeah. Yep. Like, like, when he knows that she basically screwed him at the end.
1: Yeah, her turnaround at the end was almost too human for her, right? That's right. Exactly. That's sort of the way I'm trying to think of it. If anything, she should have wanted the
2: plan to succeed and should not have helped Bond just because because she was angry at Zoran.
0: Yeah. She had yeah. to know
2: this could happen basically. But still, she's a really good character, and watching it again, you you realize how good uh, uh, someone to oppose him, how, how good she was. And I mean, much of the much of the ads, they pitted Mayday against Bond. They didn't mm-hmm. really care about Zoran. He was sort of in the background of all those ads. Right. It's always Mayday versus Bond because it was such an unusual pairing. I mean, the scene when she when they're in bed and she gets on top of
1: him. it's yeah. The idea is she's more she's stronger than he is, mm-hmm. and they play her as sort of having a you know. F- well beyond normal human strength in the, a few places, for sure. That's true,
2: it's true. Is it, it's not Dolph Lundgren that she picks up, though, right? He's the other one. She picks up one of the KGB guys. When she picks up yeah. one of the KGB people that are with uh, that are with General Gogol in the middle of the movie, yeah. I, yeah. and she throws him down, It. the guy, the other guy, the blonde guy, is Dolph Lundgren.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. really? I think
2: he was actually seeing her at the time. I believe so, yes. Yeah. So he's in that scene. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a few cameos. Apparently, Maud. Adams, Adams has said she's in a scene too not
1: as anyone they talked to but she's in yeah as an extra but she may be like the, yeah, no, uh, no one's it was true or not well I think, she, any... I think it was true that she was there in the in the background as they were filming yeah but whether she actually made it into the final cut or not ah. uh, I'm that I'm not sure about and I don't think she was entirely sure either yeah. yeah but yeah she showed up to visit Roger Moore because of course they knew each other from previous films,
2: right? Yeah, but aside from the aside from those characters, and and the, of course, um, Patrick Mcnee as Sir Godfrey Tibbet, the horse expert, who accompanies Bond in the first half of the film and helps him out and gets involved physically, which is an obvious nod to his work on the Avengers. Yeah. Um, aside from those characters, pretty much I, f- I find pretty much everyone else in the movie very one-note. Um, there are a lot of other characters actually, but all almost all of them come off as very thin. Like the the Russian spy Bond has had a fling with Paula Ivanova. Right. She's mm-hmm. used for comic relief. Uh, bond's other sidekick the uh the cia agent is is totally really very dry and dull and is even dispatched off screen
1: yeah that was uh chuck lee played by david yip yeah
2: david yip, it's not even worth it um the the assorted villain henchmen um, are like Scarpine who's played by Patrick Bauchau, which is, who has a very extensive career in Europe and has appeared in a lot of good movies with really really good directors and yet here he's sort of just reduced to a henchman I find him entertaining but uh, particularly in the final sequence on the blimp where everything is sort of played for comedy yeah uh,
1: absolutely and yeah. then
2: you've got the Nazi scientist who's like way over the top caricature
1: I found him entertaining to watch actually he's
2: entertaining but he's a complete like the scene at the end, where he's basically leaning out of the blimp with his monocle and his sticks of dynamite. <laughs> it's like you're watching your your it's like your grandfather getting into one of these fights, like. Of course he's gonna to turn to something like where's his little like nineteen twenties pistol or something.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and Bond obviously knows that the trying to throw a stick of dynamite that it's gonna go wrong and the guy. His his reaction is to tell the girl, brace yourself.
2: Right. Or the 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 way that the two of the guys fight over the dynamite, like in some kind of no you take it, no you take it <laughs> until the whole thing blows up. Which is a great ending. I love that ending. I um, think it's a really good uh, final fight. I mean, it's not the most extensive final fight, but the novelty of putting it on top of the Golden Gate Bridge. Is is pretty entertaining.
1: Yes, and the way the blimp fit in with that uh, as well was it was sort of neat. It, uh, it it worked.
2: Yeah, and it was also another example of Zoran's complete overconfidence in his uh, improvisational skills. Creative. Yeah, his creativity. here's he's gonna. Oh, this will hurt him more than me. He says, and then of course. No, <laughs> in, in fact, know. Bond turns it around and totally destroys you at that point.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, this whole thing of like, yes, yes, we are, we are charging towards the bridge in a blimp. Yeah, <laughs> that's just really going to, it's really like, going really yeah. against
2: it. <laughs> the ending's really exciting, but you have to wonder how long it actually took to get from Silicon Valley to the bridge. It's probably quite a slow flight through uh, that blimp. Okay. I mean,
0: yeah, I, I, I mean, also, the, I mean, I remember this getting to be the first time I saw it, and it just keeps getting to be. It's like, you know, this is James Bond, you know, who's supposed to be, you know, this incredibly athletic guy. You know, we see him, you know, jumping, you know, jumping out of things, jumping onto things, you know, all the time. And he's just hanging there. He's not trying to climb the rope up to the blimp.
1: That's (laughs) right. Yeah. But they did have a later, there was a later shot where he was climbing the rope, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But it's trying to get high
2: enough to avoid being castrated by the various triangular shaped buildings (laughs) in San Francisco. Yeah. (laughs) And the potential trauma that he would have endured is obviously shocking to the old, the police chief on the ground because he it's so like he smashes his car just at that moment because he can't. He looks up and yes. you know the the thought of the trauma is enough to to make the sheriff crash his car or the whatever police captain I guess. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, we were back to the the silly the silly police officers uh, riff. Yeah. Yes. And the yes. police cars crashing into each other and that I could have lived without in this.
2: Yes, it's very much a low point and that Bond has their better ways for Bond to... Contact people. I mean, yeah, it's possible they'll try to throw him in jail for a long period of time. But he has so much pull with various members of the government
0: mm-hmm.
2: that it shouldn't really be that hard to get the cops off his back if he really wanted them to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the stunt driving team had just always wanted to use a ladder truck.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. But they got their way. That's right. So I
1: guess the one character we
2: really haven't spoken of, and who perhaps, we've been
1: avoiding, I think. Yes, perhaps yes. Which is the
2: best is. Of course, uh, this, the lead Bond girl, Stacey Sutton.
1: Played by but, Tanya Roberts. Yes, the
2: I would say miscast Tanya Roberts, but she's pretty much been miscast in everything she's been cast in, uh, except that 70s show where she played a very space, spacey mother character. Right. And yeah. it was actually perfect for her level of intelligence. <laughs> but she's basically, I mean, for me, she's all be- best known as uh, the person who was snuck up on by a blimp. And that's, yeah. that's how I always like to remember her in this movie because that is, for me, the funniest scene of all time. It's yeah. like, it's a blimp. How does it sneak up on you? Uh, <laughs> so that's pretty much her worst moment, but she's a very bland character. Uh, yeah. She's just not that interesting or helpful. She's not uh,
1: that yeah. convincing. That's the no, biggest well, problem, I thought. She's supposed to be, uh, you know, this very savvy woman who's an educated and trained geologist and mm-hmm. has this uh, background. As the heir to this oil company, uh, you know she's supposed to be, you know, an empowered and very sort of on top of a woman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and she just does not pull it off. No, no I just, not at well, all. And
0: as I was going to say, I mean, especially after the, I mean, that's sort of been the, you know, the hallmark of these later more films, you know, where you have the, you know, the, the the two spies. You've got Carol Bouquet, you know, doing a very credible job, you know, seeking vengeance, and then you know, of course, you know all. To pussy who's an international you know wheeler dealer you know um, you know very powerful lady and then we get Tanya Roberts who just shrieks all the time
2: yes <laughs> and the shrieking is another thing that sort of makes the ending hard sometimes parts of it because she does shriek all the time whether it's in the elevator there's lots of shrieking going on there or later in the mine lots more shrieking and I don't know when she's being picked up by the blimp shrieking again it just it doesn't mm-hmm. add on the on the bridge at the end, more shrieking.
0: Yeah, yeah, like and, didn't and know what to do with her. Yeah, and and that elevator sequence, it's like, well, wait a minute, if, you know, it didn't look that difficult for Bond to climb up there. It's, yeah,
2: <laughs> why couldn't she just follow him? <laughs> That's right. It's a disappointing character, and the other other minor characters that don't do all that well were the well, there's the I forget. Certainly, Jenny Flex, one of the two, uh, one of the, yes. one of Mayday's two henchwomen, because she has two henchwomen of her own, and the, and that one she was played by Allison Duty, who would go on to play the the love interest slash villain of Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And right. that, as far as I can tell, marks the end of her film career. She really never yeah. did much, had much impact. She was just never good enough at being a villain, I think. And no yeah. one seemed to want to cast her as the good girl.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always take I always take that as you know, no, that would, they, you know, they, they they just felt they they had to get another of those double entendre names in there. Yes, yes, <laughs> just for more to react to. <laughs> so, yep.
1: but, yeah, you know, she she didn't she didn't do much in it, but I didn't think she detracted from it very much either. You know, she. She was she was okay in that role, but she was just there. The only thing yeah. she was... Where Ta- Tanya Roberts made the film weaker because of because she wasn't up to doing that role or however it worked out, she was not, you know, she didn't play that role very well where most of the others, for what the characters were, they were okay. You know, the actors were all right in them.
2: Yeah. And I also yeah. do like the performance of how the, uh, I like Hal, who was her boss, the guy who was taking... Bribes from Zoran, and he's played yeah. by Daniel Benzali, who would a very good character actor who would go on to brief periods of fame on TV, particularly as the lead character of the Murder One series.
0: Oh, that's so right. Yeah. A lot
2: of hype during the years when it was on, and he did yeah. some good side work after that too. But here he's so much thinner that mm-hmm. you don't really you don't see him as that other character. He also his hair, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that he's in this movie. He he wasn't bad. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, just just one one last thing on. Jenny Flakes. One thing I've always felt is that you, you know, no, there was probably more that they had in the script for her, maybe even film, because it's because it comes seems to come completely out of the blue when you know Mayday has that reaction to seeing her body, and it's like you know, oh well, okay, but we we haven't really heard any of that much of that story, have we?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, it almost seemed like there could have been you know a, another you know piece of storyline somewhere uh, with with some of these other characters. Uh, yeah. David Yip who. Uh, who played Chuck Lee, the CIA agent? As we mentioned, he was at the time quite well known as the the Chinese detective. Uh, another series that had been um, uh, had been running in the early '80s. Uh, so that was sort of his his big thing. There was he was quite well known for that in Britain. Or yes, that was a British show. Yeah, it that was make a, more it sense. was a BBC show, eighty one and eighty two. Okay, uh, where. Tanya Roberts, she was uh, known for Charlie's Angels and I think Beastmaster. Oh,
2: yes, Beastmaster, a classic.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe not for the right reasons.
0: <laughs> costuming, it was all costuming.
1: Oh, I like the little. I liked his little trained
2: ferrets. Doesn't he have a pair of trained ferrets that save the day all the time? Like yes, yes, his version that, of Lassie. That's right. Yes.
1: <laughs> Where uh, Grace Jones, who was Mayday, wasn't really an actor. She was a singer and a model.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And honestly, when she has dialogue in this, which she doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue in this, but. I don't think she's all that great at it, but physically she's uh, a really interesting presence and she plays a lot of the, the physical scenes very well and did uh, some of many of her own stunts. And that was some, um, uh, that sort of was what made the, the character interesting in the sort of almost uh, female version of Jaws kind of way.
2: Yep, mm-hmm. I think that's right. Oh yeah. And you can see her final change of heart as being similar to Jaws. It's where yes. he, he ends up teaming up with Bond and, and he gets a redemption at the end of the movie. So does she.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference being yeah. that Jaws survives.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: An m- even more ludicrous situation
2: than the Mayday one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say Mayday's odds of surviving the being standing on top of a bomb when it went off better than Jaws' survival odds. But they yeah. announced in a voiceover, they announced like, you know, off screen, oh, yeah, we saved Jaws too.
0: Yes. Yeah. That, that capsule did, did survive re entry. Amazing.
2: Well, no, it actually, no, the space shuttle picked it up. Somehow it was able to rendezvous with it and transfer them over somehow. Yeah. (laughs) It's really, it's pretty ludicrous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But, uh, I mean, one one thing that does still kind of get to me about uh, Mayday, I mean, yes, even though, you know, it makes sense given what they've set up, et cetera, but uh, looking at it again this time, you know, I mean, I I keep thinking it's like, yeah, once once it's out of the mine, it's like, just jump off. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine if it goes off out there. That's the whole point.
2: I think at that point she wanted to blow up with it probably, I guess. Okay. she wanted I him to, yeah, she wanted to see him. She wanted to be on that laughing at him when she did it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, that made as much sense as anything else.
1: Yes. And I guess she didn't know exactly when it was going to go off. Right. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: there was a timer. It was pretty close. Oh, there to was a time. Oh, you're right. And okay. She was extremely close to zero at that point. She yeah. knew she was getting blown up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah.
0: I, mean, but, but it's, it's, I mean, I, I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I uh, mean, uh, uh, much as I do kind of you know like the final bridge sequence of it you know but I guess you could say it's you know it's sort of it's the final indication of you know yes, how much of a psychotic he is that you know yes he's just seen his plan has gone to hell but uh, you know he, he you know, his concern is you know oh no let's 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 kidnap Bond's girl and go off with her <laughs> rather than you know I mean, how about landing and seeing if you can actually set it off again
2: <laughs> true <laughs> or is just his his sort of glee at the end replaces the fact that you're skiing has failed. Everything yeah. you worked for is done. You're pretty much caught at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, he's so utterly twisted. Like he is yeah. more twisted and insane than almost any other Bond villain we've seen up to this point. Anyhow, pretty much. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he he wasn't sort of uh, you know utterly rational and maniacal like Blofeld. He was you know just completely out there. Yep. And that gave you something very different than what we had had seen up to this point
2: yep yep i mean the plan was fun from a movie perspective it was the kind of big villain plot you you kind of like to see so i did enjoy that part of it of course you had the great goldfinger homage when he does his little explanation of his plan or part of his plan and he has his little model kit just like goldfinger did and he yep. has his i don't want any part of this so he goes well i guess uh you'll have to leave then yeah. And then he drops him off the blimp into the ocean.
1: That was yes. a lovely scene. That it was, was very well scene. played.
2: That was a very nice scene. And the, whole the, plan- ste-
1: the steps the guy was standing on <laughs> turning into a ramp. Mm-hmm. What else do you think was down there, anyways? Yes. There maybe a
2: little ca- a coffee room or something? You can Mm -hmm. hang out while waiting. I don't know. It was, uh, it's one of those scenes. But uh, the whole plot is very Goldfinger-esque in that it's another destroy the market so that what he has will be in greater demand.
1: He was a very Goldfinger-like character. Like he was much more insane and psychopathic. But it was, you know, the big industrialist who was running this weird thing on the side uh, to his own benefit and had, you know, as you say, the whole plan and the blimp and the description to the potential partners was very much like what we saw in Goldfinger.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah it's funny. I mean, I kind of feel there was, you know, sort of they, they were kind of going through a checklist of, of different Bond things. I mean, the you know, the whole French Chateau and the and the riding, you know, is certainly reminiscent of Moonraker and, um, you know, except with, you know, with uh, horses this time rather than quail shooting. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was sort of like, you know, you, you know yes, we've, we've had the horses, we've had the skis and... Ski skiing sequence, you know, so of course we have to have at least one underwater sequence with Bond <laughs> traveling around in scuba gear. Um, well, they,
2: know, so. Oh, that's right. They had the other underwater sequence when they get, uh, when he and Tibbet are pushed into the lake. It's oh, yes, not quite yes. as extensive, but it, it, it does qualify. It, yes. That was
1: a nice scene, actually. Yep. Uh, yeah. When he is uh, in, the, in the car, in the Rolls Royce, and you know, he can't get out because uh, Zoran and and Mayday are standing there waiting, waiting to yes. make sure that he doesn't. So he's breathing with air from the tire, <laughs> looking up at them, and that sort of <laughs> dynamic was kind of neat.
2: Yeah, it's well shot too. It's a good yeah, scene. I
0: mean, yeah, yeah, I did really. I mean, I mean, speaking of creative improvisation, it's like you know that that's a real case of it, and you know one of the few times in the Bond films, you know, when they you know they actually you know show him sort of you know really thinking on his feet, not just you know oh reaching for that uh, that tank that Q happened to have you know kept under. That seat for just this eventuality So, you know, yeah, that was de- de- definitely a nice touch.
1: Yes, that's right. And they did actually sink a Rolls Royce for that. Uh, <laughs> they they got no. an, they got an extra one just for that purpose. Huh. The Rolls Royce you see for most of it was actually Cubby Broccoli's car, Way to <laughs> or money, one of one it? of his cars. He he had one, and they they used it for uh, I think all of the scenes except that one where they actually sink one.
2: Right. So Cubby allowed. The- to throw dirt on the car,
1: or, yes, or mucky I, water. Well, I believe yeah. the, throw it, the throwing the uh, throwing uh, mucky water onto it that was actually uh, uh, Albert R. Broccoli's car.
2: <laughs> Cute.
1: Uh, the whole um, the segments earlier in the film fr- in the film with uh, Patrick Mcnee as Sir Godfrey Tibbet uh, or Sir Godfrey and then Tibbet, if you like. Uh, that that was really well done he and he and Roger Moore played that uh, very well the chemistry was just lovely yeah, yeah. They, make yeah. Good, they made a very good partnership yeah and the the concept of Sir Godfrey really being this uh you know upper class uh, horse trader who's in uh you know the expert on this stuff but going undercover as Bond's driver so mm-hmm. of course Bond was taking advantage of this at every moment you know pushing him around
0: yeah yeah although well, Although, i mean i got the impression that uh, you know no you know um, it was it was planned because they had the tape you know the tape already recorded and set uh, of him being you know a a, a com- completely you know Mon- monstrous boss, so uh, absolutely. You know, you know. It, it
1: was planned, but he was uh, you know uh, milking it for all it was worth <laughs> at the time, more than yeah. Sir Godfrey was expecting. Yeah, and that was true. something that uh, the actors played very well. Uh, Roger Moore and Patrick Mcnee knew each other uh, quite well. They actually, when the Saint Roger Moore's series and the Avengers Patrick Mcnee's series were both shooting at the same time. they were actually on adjacent stages
0: Mm -hmm. so the two of
1: them knew each other uh, quite well from that and apparently in these sequences in A View to a Kill Roger Moore uh, kept improvising extra uh, insults and extra things he could throw at Mcnee.
0: that's good (laughs) I like that yeah no that that, that certainly shows why it it goes so well and uh, you know yeah and I I mean not that I know how it could be rewritten this way but there are it really kind of feels like two separate films, you know. Up until Patrick Mini exits, exits the stage, I mean, it's you know there's you know certainly sort of some standard elements, you know, but it's feels like a, you know a pretty good Bond film. And then Tanya Roberts comes in, and it just turns into this completely different thing that isn't quite working.
2: Um, yeah, and even his, even Bond's relationship to her is extremely paternalistic. I mean, he's clearly her father's age more than anything else, mm-hmm. and he he's really just almost guarding her i mean he doesn't sleep with her till the end of the movie pretty much yeah, yeah. so it's it's very everything's off about it after at that point like he lies to her about who, he, who he's working for at first mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. even seem really necessary yeah right it's like who cares if he works for the Financial Times at the end of the day yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. yeah yeah I
0: mean I could see you know keep keeping it up at first but that you know but then it's like you know oh yes and I just happen to have this friend from the CIA you know? it's like, <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at that point you'd think he would have actually revealed you know you know no this is all part of a mission um, but uh, yeah
1: it, it's sort of felt like you know she was he was judging that she was not up to the task of <laughs> knowing who he was and keeping the secret. Yeah, right? I think
2: that may be yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. And I, I
1: guess they did it for the gag when uh, uh, he has to say who he is to the to the cop right. and she doesn't know. Yeah. yeah, it was I guess all sort of leading up to that gag. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and, 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 and certainly I mean that's another of the little details that the. Uh, uh, it kind of kind of niggles at me of, uh, you know i i guess that uh, zoran so above it all he doesn't watch the uh the you know the the 11 o'clock news <laughs> <laughs> Sees Bond rescuing her coming down that ladder truck, since there seemed to be plenty of right. news nice crew there to document that.
2: Well, it must be said he doesn't have like an iPhone or an iPad with yeah, well, Wi Fi. No, I know. No, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he should have people monitoring the news at least. You so, know, yeah, that, yeah, you're right. I mean, if he certainly has like some of his, hen- one of his many henchmen mm-hmm. monitoring the news,
1: then they wouldn't fall into this problem.
0: Yeah, or at least, or at least been aware that, you know, no, he's still
1: out there. So. Yeah, I. I think in at least from my perspective the uh, the plot for this film was a bit of a mess it wasn't horrible but it was a bit of a mess but the combination of you know being a bit of a mess and then uh, having Tanya Roberts in there sort of just not pulling that off and the the role being sort of a little weird and how it fit into it you know sort of brought this film down from where it should have been because this there were some good things in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But,
2: like, for example, at the end, what happened to the microchips that everyone was so concerned about? The ones <laughs> that would stop uh, EMP pulse. Obviously they never got put into effect as we can see from Goldeneye, but yeah. uh, it's just like, the thing kept jumping from place to place. Like, the whole horse the whole horse racing stuff is amusing to watch, but it's completely unrelated to the, the scheme. It's like, yeah. they sort of want to get closer to Zoran that way. The fact that Zoran cheats is almost irrelevant. I mean, it just, right. it's just, it's just, it's just a personality quirk. He cheats right. in the horse races and he cheats in his own steeplechase contest.
0: Yeah, I mean, or if, it, or it was, you know, I mean, yes, it was there to, you know, introduce this element of, you know, oh no, he really is a, he was supposed to be a Soviet agent, you know, and he's he's going rogue and off script and uh, you know, go, Gogol's. You know, has to come and try and rein him in. Completely. Yes, and, and
2: I'm sure the head of the KGB always makes trips to America to actively yes. run missions.
1: Yes. yes, I did. I did like the scene with him and with Gogol. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a good scene, and I like the idea of General Gogol being sort of a good guy and sort of a villain depending when you're seeing him and in what situation. Yes. We've sort of seen his you know his role in things go back and forth a couple times before and I like that.
2: Yeah, he does spend a little too much time at MI6 headquarters, or at least a little too much time for the head of the KGB. It's like, oh, it's General Gogo. Do I need to sign in? No, no, General, we trust you. We know you. Go right (laughs) ahead. M's office is uh, third floor. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Which of course you would say oh it's I don't a little know. much.
1: Yeah, I've been here many times. <laughs> We've had that issue with Gogol all along, as far as yeah. I'm concerned.
2: Oh, for sure. But like the last two movies, he's basically in M's office wrapping up the the storyline. Yeah. Like, where's the Romanov star? We need to get that back. <laughs> and in this one he he gives Bond the order of Lenin. Yes. Or like what? Again, it's a funny one liner, and that's why they have this scene.
1: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Where where would we get all our information? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> it's like the end of a, a typical, you know, a MacGyver episode where there's a funny line at the end.
1: Yeah, th- this film did have a tendency to sort of descend into bizarre humor at times.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But the earlier scene with with Gogol, I thought was quite well played. Yeah, it was and, good. You know, a g- good, you know, good way of doing the exposition and good sort of character stuff yep. and uh, and so on. Yep. Um, this was, uh of course, the the last Bond film that Roger Moore did, and it was also another last. It was the last film to have an original character from the first Bond film played by the same actor. Yep. Because it was Lois Maxwell's last film as Miss Moneypenny.
2: Yep. And they gave her a nice comedy of uh, scene as well. Where she gets to duplicate the Eliza Doolittle scene from *My Fair Lady*. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that was a nice touch. They got her out of the office. She got to go somewhere like fancy and dress up for it. <laughs> it was a nice touch. Yes. And they dismissed Miss Smallbone from the previous film, so that was also a plus. Was that the
1: previous film, or was that uh, was yes. for for your eyes only?
2: Um, maybe. That might have been.
1: Yeah. It might have been. Yes, we didn't we didn't have Miss Smallbone, <laughs> uh, which yes was probably a good (laughs) bang. Yeah, that horse racing scene with all of the uh, all of our MI six characters being uh, you know bunched together at the at the races seemed a little odd, but it was an okay scene. Yeah, it no, was a reasonably but... well done scene, but it seemed a little odd to have them all there in that way. Yeah, uh, and this this particular M, the Robert Brown M, seems to be out of the you know out of the office and out doing things. A little bit too much In some ways
2: Oh I agree completely I've been saying that For the last few movies Where okay. in the last one He shows up At Checkpoint Charlie With Bond Right. It just seemed Very wrong uh for him to be let out of the sight of anybody whereas in the more recent movies M is generally like watched at every moment mm-hmm. Although, of course the last few movies have had her falling into problems very quickly um yes. it's it's like not for lack of trying like mm-hmm. it, it, the movies are often revolve around luring her out uh from under her protective shell whereas yeah robert brown just seems to go wherever he feels like it and I mean, this is not the end for him as well. The next couple movies, he's still like out somewhere else.
1: That's right. I noticed in this one they referred to him as admiral at one point, which uh, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but it makes it, it suggests to me that maybe he is playing the same character he played in an earlier Bond film as Admiral Hargraves, I think it
2: was. Or, or was it implying that he's the same M and that there's been no change? I th-
1: I thought it was implying that he was not the same M that he was the. the admiral who we saw with the uh, the original m mm, maybe but
2: isn't that isn't wasn't m an admiral too or hinted Oh, at that's
1: possible it? i i'm not sure
2: i've forgotten what he uh miles messervy was the name of the m character okay at least in the books it was and i seem to recall him in some of the books i think it's i think he was an admiral i think when bond goes to visit him at the uh in fact it may be in the it may be in um in on a Majesty's secret service i'd have to rewatch the scene but but when Bond goes to M's house to give him the blowfield information, I think he asks if the Admiral is in.
1: Oh, I think you may that's be right, right, actually.
2: Yeah, I've always assumed that Robert Brown was simply a continuation of the very same M character, and okay. not a new and not a new M.
1: At, at this point, I'm not sure because we know that M is a position, and you know, the, the Judy Dench M is clearly a different character.
2: Well, I think that's the point where they decided to make it a different character. <laughs> okay.
1: But but it it seems <laughs> It seems, it seems like the the Robert Gra- the um, the uh, Robert Brown M um, could be Admiral Hargraves who was uh, in in the Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that they always have M always has an M name.
1: Right. Oh, okay.
2: I think that's their their humorous approach. And uh, there was an Maud Mod, Maudley or Maudley as well. I think was M. I think that's supposed to be the character name for this M. Okay. So they never say it. But but Daniel Craig does say I. I didn't realize "am" actually meant
1: Yes was well, she sure, goes Don't sure.
2: say it. <laughs> Don't say it. Judy Dench fires back. Yes, <clears throat> But yeah, no, I, I've i always really thought they were the same character, although his then dismissal of Bond in a later film is something the old M would never have done. And his treatment by this M is certainly not the same treatment as the father figure original M played by Bernard Lee.
1: By, yeah, the Bernard, the Bernard Lee M.
2: Yeah, Brown, Brown's M never has very much sympathy at all for Bond or, or emotional attachment to him in any way. That's right. <clears throat> but I still think they didn't really intend the character to change. Okay. But
0: who knows? Who knows? Yeah, now, speaking of casting, I think there is one intriguing thing to bring up. Since you know, they did have Grace Jones, you know, basically was basically known as a as a singer. But uh, you know, believe it or not, Christopher Walken was not the first choice to play Zoran. That's right. Yeah, since they offered it to David Bowie, who it's a rather funny quote said he didn't want to spend five months watching his stunt double fall off cliffs.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, and, I don't think it would have worked. I don't think Bowie could be murderous yeah, enough.
0: Exactly, exactly. But but then they they offered it to Sting after that, who also turned it <laughs> down.
1: Oh my goodness! Obviously, there were. Like I think Walken was a better choice than either of those. They, yeah, well, they might have yes, worked, that, but exactly,
0: exactly.
2: Sting could have done it he's just not a good enough actor he has yeah. i mean his roles whenever he's in a movie he's usually playing a psychotic so it's certainly up his alley uh, but he just doesn't have the uh, i don't think he has the polish to be like a rich industrialist like that
0: yeah exactly uh, yeah. he can't
2: put that off but if he wants to stand there in a weird metallic leather loincloth and threaten to kill <laughs> the last uh, atreides well yeah. that's about where he belongs
0: we're perfectly fine yeah i
2: mean really he didn't do much of any acting after that film uh I think no, he okay. was, was a Frankenstein once or yeah,
0: I no, there, I mean, there, there, there was Stormy Monday, which actually he's, he's not too bad in, but he's yeah. got to, he's just got to play a disaffected jazz club owner. So it was kind of right, right. up his ass. So. Okay. No, but
2: Sean Dean, well, I, I don't
0: know the thing one. That's
2: interesting. Uh, yeah. No,
0: but in Stormy Monday, Sean Bean and Melanie Griffith, are, are the one driving all the action. So
2: hmm.
0: him and Tommy Lee Jones, just, uh, just provide some of the complications.
2: We shouldn't completely forget, but Q actually does make an appearance in this movie, but it's so, like, pointless and uninteresting. <laughs> you can just ignore his presence entirely.
1: Yes, they were getting to the point where they didn't want to do the big, the big Q scene and the big gadgetry kinds of things, but they still wanted to include him. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, And this, gets... is, this has come up, well, it's come up since the late 60s that, you know, they haven't really had anything for Q to do, but they find something. So <laughs> they have him comparing the two, uh, the two microchips to demonstrate that uh, the information was leaked that the, uh, for the, uh, the chip that Bond found in Siberia. So there's a leak to the Soviets. Well, yeah, they could have told us that without having Q there. It's, and then, then
2: he also introduces the worst Bond gadget of all time, that stupid dog thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the robot oh, dog. Yes. It's really... And, and yeah. it allows... It's setting up the scene at the very end of the movie where the robot dog spies in them in the shower. So yes. it,
1: it's really
2: lame. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, is, uh, it w- it was based on there were a couple of sort of semi toy like robot kinds of things that were around in the 80s that looked a little bit like that oh
2: yeah no i yeah. got, we got yeah. that it was supposed to be re- like the next phase of a particular device so it would look
1: cool but yeah. now just like a Roomba or something yeah <laughs> it it was, kept- yeah it was odd having it there it didn't yeah
0: yeah uh, yeah because i mean because i mean the other the i mean there weren't there weren't a lot of gadgets in this movie and a lot, a lot of you know, what, what there was, was was not that good. I mean, those ridiculous sunglasses <laughs> with the dials, so he could see through the window.
1: Yeah. They didn't look quite as out of place in the 80s. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, <laughs> I was old enough. Even then, they looked goofy. <laughs>
2: well, fair enough. I mean, they find a few better things for him in the next couple movies, at least certainly in the License to Kill. They used yeah. him reasonably well there. Yeah. Yes. I thought they used him well in Octopussy, giving him a little more of the action even because he gets involved he actually gets involved in the action in both of those movies mm-hmm. more so than usual and uh, and i liked his use the way they used him there yeah yeah. This, yeah. this movie not so good yeah, yeah
1: he he was okay in that the scene watching the races yeah yeah he was fine there but you know it was just he was one of their their mi6 characters so he was there that's right
0: yeah, yeah well you know it's ascot everybody's got to show up for Ascot. yes ex- exactly
1: <laughs> Okay, well, I think we have uh, covered a view to a kill fa- fairly thoroughly. Yep. Uh, so final thoughts. Gary. it's it's
2: it's so silly at times that it seems like it's really bad, but I, I still have fun watching it. Uh, I'd recommend it as a sense that it's enjoy watching a silly Bond movie. Uh, it's not going to be great in any particular thing, but there's some standout things like Christopher Walken and Grace Jones, and uh, they're enough to pretty much drag you through the film. So it's, an, it's, not, it's not a good Bond, but it's a fun Bond to watch.
1: I think that's a pretty good way of, uh, of putting it, actually. It has a lot wrong with it in many ways. It doesn't really work, but at the same time, there are some good characters characters, some nice performances and some good moments. Some of the set pieces and some of the character moments and uh, and the like. Uh, so yeah, there are some fun things in here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, as I, I think I may have mentioned in previous episode or leading up to this one, I, I have literally not, I had not watched A View to a Kill all the way through. I might have caught a scene or two and it showed up on TV, but since it came out in 85 um, and watching it all the way through this time, I realized I think that the big issue is I mean, that it's so much a, a film of two halves. I mean you know up the first half up through the the chateau and uh, Patrick McNee getting offed is you know it's you know it it's it, it's a good fun sort of typical Roger Moore Bond film you know a lot lot of the elements we've got, gotten used to, you know and then the the, the moment Tanya Roberts shows up, it just drags it down and uh, you know yes, we still have zoran and uh and mayday there to to provide some interest but uh you know yeah it just you know I, I i think it was just that that bad taste in my mouth from the second half of the film when i when i came out of it that first time that <laughs> uh, you know just you know it, it is what completely dominated my thinking about it but uh, you know you know seeing it in context now and uh, having you know seen seen the other films more recently it uh you know yeah there there are elements there it's just uh Unfortunately, there's too much there that, uh, that, that weighs it down in the end.
1: And it has blimps. Everything's better with blimps, right? <laughs> blimps that blow up are fun,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like
1: that the movie ends with a
2: cool blimp explosion. That works out well. Uh, just for me, the, the, the Tanya Roberts character is definitely a problem with the movie. But the way I enjoy it now is by just enjoying how terrible she is and how <laughs> stupid her, her performance was, so stupid that it's fun. Uh, whereas, let's say, the Denise Richards performance, is just grating beyond belief. Yeah, there's no fun in that performance. It's bad, and yeah. that's all you can say about it. But right. Tanya Roberts is funny bad. I mean, it, it wasn't deliberate, but it, it's so bad it's funny. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can say that about that many of the Bond girls, but this uh, this one you can. Yeah. Oh, I think maybe the girl from like the secondary girl from Live and Let Die is so bad it's funny. And <laughs> Talisa Soto from License to Kill, which we'll get to in a future one, she is yeah. also so bad that it's funny. Those are my okay.
0: go-to
1: bad performances. <laughs> yes. All right, Just a, fair enough. A
0: little preview of to come and look
2: forward
1: (laughs) James Bond will return in The Living Daylight this is Brian take care folks this is is Gary see you next time
2: this
0: is Edmund see you next time thank you for listening to Hooked on Bond find out more at hookedonbond.com or on Facebook Hooked on Bond is broadcast on the Voice of Geeks Network at vognetwork.com